Wes Goldberg, cold open question for you to start today's show. Do you like the Clippers rebrand? I do. Uh, I don't know what people expect with these things. Like, it's never going to blow your mind, right? It's it, it, But you just want something solid. It's better than what they were before. Um, I, I think it's got a hard angle on it, which I appreciate. I like that it doesn't incorporate the blacks and all of those things that they were trying to add to their scheme before. It just goes back to the classic colors. It just looks like something that they're going to stand by. And sometimes that's all it takes to make a good jersey. It's just like commitment. Good branding is, is oftentimes just commitment. And it seems like they're committed. Agreed. I The fact that we can no longer compare their logo to the Microsoft Clippy animation <laughs> that you would see in Word is, I think, like all this really needed. And look, I... I think it's hard. I, where I where I I th- sympathize with most teams in the league. It's really like the Lakers and the Celtics are the only teams without this problem. There's not really another iconic look in the NBA, right? Like I was just I mean, not. Uh, I, I think Miami, the Knicks. The Knicks oh, the Knicks, okay, yeah, the Knicks. I would in there. That 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 that's just a massive horse on my part. The Knicks app should be in there. The Sonics would be the other one when they come mm. back because it will be that nostalgia pull. But like there's I, I think NBA teams have a hard time having visual identities and the Clippers are kind of the perfect example of that because they're team number two in L.A. Right. And you mentioned the heat, too. Like, I don't know that Miami's color scheme is especially great. It's black and red. You know, there's a, there's as many black and red teams as there are blue and red teams like the Clippers. Right. But it's the commitment. It's the also the commitment to your region in Miami. You have the great Miami Vice jerseys as the alternates. They just they know what they are and they stick to it. And oftentimes that's all it takes. You know, you just want you want somebody to see the jersey, see the court, see whatever T-shirt is out there in the wild and be like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's that's a Clippers thing. And if they stick to this. You know, I think it'll be all right. I think just to the fact that we're getting like it is a little not the actual jerseys, but the fact that the logos themselves are a little bit like they're they're not just goofy. Like the fact that there's like a ship in them mm-hmm. to me, it's just like, you know, what? like you lean in the fact that no one really knows what a clipper is, but you're try- kind of trying to explain it. And you kept and with the one logo, you have your own version of LA. So like it's I it's like fine. how it I, almost looks like the Mariners jersey. I know like Zach Lowe in his piece wrote how yeah. they, they had to kind of fight some some maybe legal act, uh, issues there. But I like how it looks. I like that it it does have that old school look. We see so many of these new concepts for brands just be like big old letter in black and just like clean font like just a like a sans serif type font and you're just like all right i like that their alternate jerseys a little cursive it is a little yes. bit throwback um it's just like the worst rebrand in recent times has been the utah jazz it's horrible it, it, they took mm-hmm. something great and made it really really bad this is sort of the opposite the clippers were dealing with something really bad that they did under steve Ballmer. to your point they just sort of made it microsoft 2.0 they did something bad they reversed it got something good out of it 100% agree and as long as they're not see-through like baseball jerseys I think everyone will it'll be fine all right coming up on today's show Trey Young's gonna miss a month and we're gonna talk about who can actually push Boston in the Eastern Conference that's all coming up today on the Just Basketball Show Throws it 
Welcome in to the Just Basketball Show for February 27th. I am Chris Manning. Brandon Clean is not with us today. We have Wes Goldberg, our favorite guest, I, I would say, okay. filling in for Brendan. Wes, how are you, my friend? I'm good, man. Appreciate the compliment. Look, it's it's a pleasure to have you. I, I sometimes, I, I will say this, I'm going to embarrass you live on air just to humble you for a second. Great. You and I follow several of the same like mentor accounts. So this is also just like a kindred spirit to me that we're, we're you, you were also deep into like the people shaming you for not wearing like vintage denim Instagram. So like we're just we're kindred <laughs> spirits and, and, and I'm, like I'm, I'm with it. I'm with it. Edgy Albert. Uh, has yeah. a, has a place in a place in my head, you know, rent free, yeah. as the kids yeah. say. You know what? I'd be lying if I told you I wasn't when I wasn't doing like basketball deep dives that I wasn't doing uh, vintage denim deep dives. And I recently yeah. bought another pair of like uh, '80s 501s, Levi 501s oh, yeah. on eBay, yeah. and I they're lost. I don't know what happened to them. They said that this, that got delivered. A- this is maybe an offline conversation that you and I need to have, but they got lost <laughs> in the mail. I don't know what happened. Yes, we'll have we need to have a denim conversation because there's a there's a brand that has made a comeback that I feel very solidly about about a price point inequality, but we'll get to that. I want to tell you about a friend of th- uh no, I've not no, that has not been the that that wouldn't be definitely edgy Albert, just absolutely yeah, in my sure. head. Yeah. Uh, I want to tell you too about a friend of Thrive Fantasy. Thrive Fantasy is a player prop DFS platform where you can pick more or less on your favorite players across multiple sports, including the NBA and the NFL. Sign up today with code just basketball and Thrive will match your first deposit up to $250. Wes, let's start with Trey Young. He's going to miss a month. And I want to just ask this question about the Atlanta Hawks, who are not going to factor into the rest of this conversation we're going to have. What is left for them this season? Trey Young is going to miss a month. And let's just say he comes back end of March, early April. And this team is somewhere in the play and nebulous and you know maybe some encouraging signs at times with the offense, but they're, they're 10th right now. They're well back of the eighth place Orlando Magic. They're even further back, obviously, of the six seeded Pacers. This team, at, at best, is going to be nine ten, and they're two games back of the nine seeded Bulls right now. I don't. I this kind of to me almost feels like the end of Atlanta season in in kind of a dramatic way. But maybe I'm maybe I'm overanalyzing this. No, I, I think that's. <sighs> It's the end of Trey Young's season for all intents and purposes, right? You miss four weeks, you come back for a couple of weeks and a half. It's just like, all right, cool. That's like kind of fun, whatever. No reason to rush him back, right, either. But uh, I don't know. If, if you're if you're Atlanta, maybe there is going to be a reason to rush him back because they're only three and a half games up on Brooklyn and four games up on Toronto with 25-ish games left here. If they like kind of slide down the standings here, this basically creates an opening where I thought we basically knew the top 10 teams in the East – this Trey Young injury creates an opening for maybe Brooklyn or Toronto with a strong stretch of play to sneak in. Now, that's a lot on Brooklyn and Toronto to do because they haven't really had a prolonged stretch of good basketball this season. But, hey, one, one you know, four or five game win streak. We just saw Charlotte do that recently, right? Like one of those streaks could put them back into the mix here for the 10 seed. And if you're Atlanta and Trey Young comes back with a couple of weeks left in the season, then that gives you maybe some reason to make a push. The other thing I would be trying to do if I were the Hawks, cause you're right. Basically what, if we're just talking about holding onto the 10 seed, who cares? Your season's basically over. But if I'm Atlanta, I'm using this as an opportunity to see what DeJounte Murray looks like as the leader of my, mm-hmm. of my offense and of my basketball team. Cause we've already heard the rumors of, well, they couldn't really get what they wanted for DeJounte Murray. So would they pivot and actually trade Trey Young this summer? 
And I think this gives you at least a, like a four-week sample size of what is DeJounte Murray and Jalen Johnson and that kind of group and Anyaka Kongwu and some of these other guys that we have. What does that group look like? Is there a foundation there sans Trey Young to build on? I don't know that you can answer that in four weeks. It's still a little bit of a small sample size, but it's a sample size at least when you're kind of making these tough decisions that they might have to make this summer. And Quinn Snyder, too, just getting to put DeJounte into the fulcrum of the offense instead of staggered minutes, whatever. I think that's that's at least a data download for Quinn Snyder, who I think we know has a lot of input on what is going on in that in that organization and what that team wants to do. I I also am a little bit bummed, West, because at the very least, this that would have been a team where you could talk yourself into them like having a really entertaining playoff play in run, not playoff run. They're getting smoked. Whoever's whoever's like the eight seed is getting smoked by Boston. Like that's just gonna happen. But if they were the ten seed, I'm more interested in them in that playing tournament from just like a I want to enjoy the basketball I'm watching in April's point of view than I would be the Nets or the Raptors at this point. And maybe the Raptors with Scotty Barnes and the stuff he does and, and their team and all that do have like some kind of fun element to them. But mm-hmm. Atlanta just because of the upside had I think just the most fun up but but now like you get below Orlando I'm like, Ugh. like they they are yeah. good. They're a good playing team, though. Atlanta is right. Like they made it out of the playing tournament as the eighth seed. They beat the seven seed heat in the first game of the playing tournament last year, got into the playoffs. I don't know. Even a 10 seed Hawks team with Trey Young coming back. I won't write them off from making it out of the playing tournament. Right. Uh, but like, you could argue right now that depending on how it shakes out, if Trey Young is healthy, by the play-in tournament time, they could have the best player in the play-in tournament. And when you have that with the sort of the variance kind of aspect of the play-in tournament, who knows what can happen. But then, like you just said, what what's left for you on the other side of the play-in tournament? You make it out, you get to the playoffs. And basically what happened to the Hawks last year, you get smoked in the first round and that's sort of it. Um, maybe it's against Boston. Maybe it's against whoever the two seed is, depending on whatever they get. But I don't know. I, I don't know that they're – I, I kind of felt like the Hawks season was over before the pinky injury to Trey Young. Yeah. And now it's just like – doubly over yeah this 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 feels like the official end yeah. when we've already kind of known where this was going and that's unfortunate for a team and there's there, i think a lot more to come with elena so we'll we'll get to them i think in due time all right main topic of today's show who can actually push the boston celtics in the eastern conference west by the way boston uh eight in a row looked really fucking good against the knicks Title odds are is this right now. Boston's plus 260, Bucks plus 600, Knicks plus 1800, 76ers plus 2200, Cavs plus 2500, and the Miami Heat plus 4000. Huh. That to me feels right. I I do think it before we even get into this conversation it is worth just saying. I think Boston is just better than everyone. The Porzingis edition, their health this year, Derek White's play. There's just so much that I think has made them a level above the rest of the East. And I I can't really see that changing, if I'm being honest. Like, could a team beat them? Sure, I don't think they're infallible. But I do think Boston just definitely feels like the class of the East before we even get into, okay, who could actually push them? Yeah, I, I don't think that there's any doubt. I don't know that you can argue that. They are, to put it another way, the team to beat right now in the Eastern Conference. Their net rating is miles ahead of even the second best team. They're they're outscoring teams by 10.5 points per one of possessions. The second best team in the East by net rating is, as you know, the Cleveland Cavaliers at 5.4 points per one under possessions plus. So they're they're 
outscoring teams by double what the second best team in the East is outscoring their opponents by. They're dominant. Uh, they have a great home court advantage. Uh, they just they're able to put so many lineups together. And when they have Kristaps Porzingis available, they look borderline unstoppable. Um, but I don't know. I'm not. And, and that's in the regular season. I do actually have some questions about them in the playoffs. And I think they're fair questions. Um, I, I think this team is better than the team that's been to whatever it's been, like three of the four, four of the four last Eastern Conference finals, whatever it's been. I think this team is better than those teams. But I also hasn't, I haven't seen this version of the team with Drew Holiday, no Marcus Smart, with Kristaps Porzingis, without some of these other guys. Um, Joe Mazzulla's second season, I think he's done a great job for them this year, much better than his first season. But like we haven't seen this group necessarily in the playoffs. So I just have some minor questions, but not enough where I'd say like, Oh, yeah, I'm picking somebody else right now in the Eastern Conference. So what's the recipe to you of a team that can push them? I, th- I think to me there's a cert- there's one team on this list that we'll get into that we're going to talk about. So the Bucks, the Cavs, the, the Knicks, the Heat, the Sixers, that I feel like has the right recipe. But is there like a, whether it is in the finals or whether it is in the East, is there like a type of play that you are curious you see them have to deal with and that you actually then could give them some, some real fits. So right now the Celtics are number one in offensive rating mm-hmm. by a pretty decent margin. And it feels like they're going to finish the end of the season with, with number one in offensive rating. The worst offensive rating in the league is like one Oh seven point five or something. I'm not even sure who it is, Yeah, but clean, there's been cleaning the, uh, I can tell cleaning the glass. I just pulled this up. Cleaning the glass has it at one Oh eight point seven. That is your Memphis Grizzlies <laughs> who are, uh, Eight points below league average per owner possessions. Congratulations to the Memphis Grizzlies. The a season that I hope you burn from your history books. <laughs> Gigi Jackson will have something to say about that by the end yeah, of the year. John Conchar, revenge sure. <laughs> I bring that number up because seven teams this year have held Boston, the number one offense in the league, to a mark of a hundred uh, of of under one hundred seven points per one of possessions. Which would again, I bring that number up. It would be basically last in the NBA had it been for a whole season. Those seven teams that held Boston to basically the worst offensive rating for a season in a game were the Orlando Magic, the Timberwolves, the Clippers, the Sixers, the Bucks, the Raptors, and the Lakers. What The, the one thing that the, all those teams have in common is positional size across the board. And I think that's the sort of thing that can slow Boston down a little bit when they want to get into, especially Tatum and Jalen Brown, get into that isolation game and stuff. When you're able to throw a couple of different bodies at them, that slows them down and it kind of grinds the gears enough. And look, we're talking about a seven game sample size. I'm not, and it's not like every single team with size has been able to stop Boston's offense, but those seven teams that have managed to stop Boston's offense and, and Porzingis wasn't involved in all of those games either, but they were healthy for quite a bit of those games also. It's just positional size. And so when I look in the East about teams that can stop them, physical teams with positional size, that's where I'm going to, that's sort of my starting block in terms of building the matchup that could give Boston the most trouble. So I think that leads us to the first team that I think fits that the best of these teams in the East. I think that's the Knicks. Mm-hmm. Think of just about all the wings that this team has. This team has OG, I guess, assuming health, which is kind of their big, big issue right now is just getting healthy and and having a normally functioning basketball team. That OG, Josh Hart, DiVincenzo, 
they have they have a Bojan. They have just a bunch of big wings who are going to shoot it and be able to defend multiple spots. They're going to be tough as shit. We know that. Even last year when this when that when the team lost to Miami, as you know, and saw up close. That team was just tough and is grimy and is built for that kind of thing. If Mitchell Robinson ends up coming back and looks right, we'll see what happens with Randall as well. But even just the, the outline of the roster right now, Wes, I think with all the wings, especially with OG, specifically with Bojan, getting DiVincenzo, having heart, I think they have, like, they're the only team that I look at among these teams that, that they could see, that Boston could see in the East, that I feel like, oh, they actually have the wings to not outplay the Jays, not outplay some of Boston's strengths, but at least not feel like there's the potential they get overwhelmed by what Boston does and the size and the just the kind of the physicality Boston can play with. There's, to me, there's one and a half teams, and the full team is the Knicks, right? Like they, the weird thing about the Knicks too is they just played them on Saturday, but it was a Knicks team without Julius Randle, without OG Ananobi, like a bunch of their guys yeah. were out, so it was sort of like a skeleton crew Knicks team. They got three of their four Knicks games out of the way this year by early December, so we haven't seen the Celtics play yeah. this version of the Knicks all year long. But you look at the personnel, and you just uh, did a great job of kind of breaking it down. That is the personnel that would give them problems. I wonder, like. You have Mitchell Robinson and Hartenstein, potentially both healthy, to go up against Kristaps Porzingis. You've got OJ Anobi who can guard Jason Tatum and or Jalen Brown. You've got a, like Josh Hart and all these guys who can muck things up. And you think about what's given the Celtics problems in the playoffs in the past, and it's been really physical Miami Heat teams. And that's kind of what the New York Knicks have built themselves like, is those physical Miami Heat teams is, hey, we're going to get in your head. We're going to bang you around. You're not going to enjoy this basketball game. We're going to make it as miserable as possible for you. That's sort of the Heat's MO, and it's the Knicks' MO. The reason I don't have the Heat in here, in terms of positional size, I know we'll talk about them later, is just they just Mm -hmm. don't have that positional size. They're a smaller team. Uh, The other team, I think, and the half team here, are the Cavs. Oh, okay. This is interesting to me because I – I want to I want to finish with the Knicks, but finish this Cavs take, and we'll we'll get to Cleveland more in depth. I'm a little I'm a little skeptical of Cleveland well, in let's, a way let's finish that the Knicks stuff. Let's finish the Knicks yeah, stuff, okay. and then we'll get into the Cavs stuff. Yeah. So here's the thing with the Knicks too that I'm I would really like to just see. Brendan is I'm going to speak for him here. He is on like if there is like a. Jalen Brunson can solve world hunger train. I think Brendan is on that train. <laughs> I think Brendan is like, like he is in the, he's driving that train right now. Okay. Brunson against the Knicks. If it shapes out in a way that goes along series, he would, I th- the only, the only real hesitation I have about the Knicks against the, like really pushing the bucks, even when they're or, excuse me, pushing the Celtics when they're fully healthy is what if what if the the Celtics with White, with with Tatum and Brown, who I think would get some time on Brunson, they say we'll we'll stash X player on on Josh Hart, whatever. I'd run your offense to Josh Hart. We'll let you do that. Do the Knicks have like that next offensive gear that isn't just Jalen Brunson yeah. running a lot of pick and roll, running ISO, spraying out the shooters, and ha- like that's where Randall would come in. But is this a, even a good Randall series? Like I, I don't know if it is. Like the, the structure no of the series. Knicks. No playoff series is a good Randall series. And that's my biggest problem with the Knicks, right? And I know, and I think every Knicks fan would say, hey, we just traded for Boyan Bogdanovich. That's the answer to the question that you just asked. I like Boyan Bogdanovich fine. I don't know that the Celtics are scared of Boyan Bogdanovich. I don't know that they're like changing their matchups that does something that help alleviate what it is that they're doing against Jalen Brunson. In other words, 
I think they would let Boyan Bogdanovich beat them. Like they would dare yeah, him to. You like, should. They would, yeah, and that's fine. And I think he's a good outlet, and he's fine. But they're not going to change their scheme because of Boyan Bogdanovich. They're going. Jalen Brunson, his pull up game could be the answer. It's just like, hey, I'm just going to bring the ball up, and I'm going to just, I'm going to shoot it from 28 feet because that's something he didn't have last year, just the pull up three point game. Um, but you're right. That's my biggest thing with the Knicks is, despite all of these things that they added, the Knicks did this year, and how much better they are, and they are definitely better than they were last year. I still have questions about their playoff offense, and I don't really have questions about Boston's playoff offense. Boston's playoff often think it's the way to delineate them, Wes, would be Boston's could just have like the thing we've seen with them where variance kicks in and they just miss enough shots and like the yep. door gets crept open. Like that's just what happens with the way they play. The Knicks, it's like, what if we just stop functioning? What if this is just unfortunately doesn't totally work in the way we want it to? And like, I think that's that if you're building out the Knicks in the future, that's why like an, a star trade of some kind makes a ton of sense for them. Even if they have all this depth, I think sacrificing some of that depth to go get someone to play with Brunson would would make a lot of sense if your goal is championship contention like that. That's kind of where my head goes. Even, and even Bojan, who I like and is going to be big for you in the perimeter, I think even defensively, if he's switching on a Tatum, Boston's cool with that. If Brown's attacking him, Boston, I think, is cool with that. If he has to defend Porzingis for a stretch, that's a dub for Boston just structurally with, with how big Porzingis is and what he's going to do to space. Like there, there are just like lots of questions, even if you could just say, okay, they could run out of five of Mitchell Robinson and, and Brunson bookend it, and we smash together three big wings in the middle of it, and that's the toughest thing Boston's going to face. You could tell me that's true, and I can also just wonder, what does the structure look like if Boston is humming and, and paces them out and all of that? It's, But I would like to see it. I guess I want to ask the last thing on the Knicks. What last year, when you watched them play Miami and they lose to Miami, what about their offense just like what didn't work to you in that series? Then? Like what fell apart for them in that series after they, they didn't they play great against great offense against Cleveland either statistically right. at least, but they won. What about the offense in that second round kept them from really pushing Miami in a real way? Everything outside of Jalen Brunson, it just didn't work. Brunson had an awesome series. He be, he might've been the yeah. best player in that series. Right. Um, especially after Jimmy Butler kind of tweaked his ankle midway through it. Uh, but Miami was also happy to let Jalen Brunson cook for the most part and shut down all the other relief valves. And maybe the answer here for the Knicks is that all those other parts around Jalen Brunson are a little bit better this year. Like Dante DiVincenzo is a little bit better than what they had last year. Does Randall give him a better series than he gave him last year? Adding all the off-ball stuff and the shooting that OG adds, the shooting that Boyan Bogdanovich adds and what he can do on the ball. Like, does all of that stuff, you don't have a star player next to Jalen Brunson, but does all that stuff add up into something materially better to the point where, okay, now it can't just be like dare Jalen Brunson to beat you or, and, and all these other things are not going to be a threat. Maybe. And then I guess that's, that's why I keep kind of going back to the Knicks as a potential problem for Boston is I don't know that there's a point of the game where you're playing the Knicks and you're like, that's the lineup where we make the run. I think they can always put a decent lineup on the court and, and I think they're going to be well coached. And uh, I think Jalen Brunson's just that much better than he was last year. And so maybe just all those little like kind of incremental improvements add up to something greater uh, than the sum of its parts. And so that would be, that would be the Knicks thing. But that's why like, I don't think anybody would take the Knicks over the Celtics, but I don't think anybody would necessarily be surprised if they pushed the Celtics in a series either. 
Let's go to the Cleveland. Okay. Make the case West for Cleveland because I think you might have a stronger case for them than I do. And, and maybe I'm just too close to the sun here. I think that can happen yeah. when we cover teams and, and all that. But make the case for Cleveland as the other half a team that, that matches up well with Boston in some way. Well, it's it's sort of the opposite of the Knicks thing, right? They have a star scorer who could score on anything, and that's Donovan Mitchell. And he's playing at a near MVP level. Um, I know he's been, you know, sick lately and his production has dropped off. But in the playoffs, I I know it's been a rough couple of postseason for for Donovan Mitchell. But this is also a guy who has legit, you know, postseason bona fides in in, on his resume. And I I don't know. I I think the way he's playing right now. Like, again, I'm not taking Cleveland in a series against Boston, but they have positional size with Evan Mobley and Jarrett Allen that I think can disrupt Boston because the one thing the Celtics do want to do is get deep into the paint. They probably don't take enough shots at the rim, but they do get deep into the paint and then kick out to three pointers. And those if those three point if those drives aren't as quite as deep because they've got Jarrett Allen and Evan Mobley in front of them um, and. Those three-pointers aren't quite as open anymore because Cleveland's defenders don't have to close out as much anymore because that that initial drive wasn't as deep as they try to get to. Then I don't know. I, I think that could maybe grind Boston's offensive gears a little bit. And just like we haven't seen the Celtics play like this version of the Knicks all year, we haven't seen the Celtics play this version of the Cavaliers all year after they kind of found their footing this season. A lot of those games were earlier in the year. Uh, between like like mid-December and before. So we haven't really seen the Celtics and these Cavaliers play a meaningful game. And if you've got that defense grinding down Boston's offense just a little bit, and then you put Donovan Mitchell in position to take over the, the game and or the series, I just think that's an interesting formula. And you've got Isaac Okoro, who's been playing better defensively as of late. You've got a guy off the bench in Karis LeVert who can, is a little bit hit or miss, but overall has had a pretty good year for Cleveland. Uh, who can lift some of those second units. If Darius Garland can get going and really start playmaking and maybe take advantage of Boston's second unit, I like that. There's just like, if you squint, there's a formula here. And I, I would never take the Cavs in a series, but I, I like when you when you just start trying to build the team theoretically that could push Boston, the Cavaliers have some of those elements that you're looking for. Evan Mobley, to me, would be the X factor of, of that hypothetical series because... Number one, if he's shooting threes, and if that, if what we've seen from him since he's come back is real, that there's an offensive evolution here, that changes the whole structure for Cleveland. It just, it just does. If he's taking corner threes, if he's willing to put the ball on the floor a little bit, that's a big deal. And even just the way Wes said, I feel like they've used him has been different they're feeding him aggressively in a way that i don't really remember them doing as robustly before it's been very intentional the way they're getting him in the the ball at the elbow the way they are getting him the ball in the paint the way they're they're letting him kind of be the hub of sets at times it's it's a little bit different but it kind of reminds me of just uh and structurally of how miami uses bam a little bit in just terms of hey we have this big who can pass is comfortable playing a little bit further out we don't need to give him an old school post up spot we can just give him the ball and he's going to do something smart it's it's the wizard so take this for like you know not very much um even though the Cavs almost got pool partied on sunday mobley had a finish in the first half with his left hand that i just didn't know he had in his back mm. and i'm just like okay like if he's doing this and he's hitting threes every like every other game that's that's a big deal defensively he's also like the the Mobley Allen front court is also just what that's kind of the if if Mobley let's say has to defend Tatum at times and that's here's and I think he would you still would have Allen to 
defend Porzingis, even if you're getting stretched out. I, Cleveland's kind of the only team that has the bigs, you would think, that could match some of the stuff Boston does. Even if they're getting stretched, you would trust their ability to and smarts to, I think, recover and be sound. And Max Struess, as you know, is like a smart is going to be a smart positional defender for them on on whomever he's going to guard. Like the structure could be there. the The path I think for Cleveland and New York, I think the similarity is that it's a narrow path. But there's a path you could talk yourself into at least peeking down the road a little bit. Yeah, and I think with both of those teams and Jalen Brunson and Donovan Mitchell, they both have the potential to break whatever Boston is trying to schematically do against them. And I think Donovan Mitchell maybe more so in a playoff setting and one-on-one situations and things like that. But uh, it's a great point. Like you could have Jarrett Allen hang out by the rim and put Evan Mobley on Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown or whoever's in the, whatever wings in on in the game for Boston, and that's going to be a problem for those guys, right? And it's not going to be like they're going to go scoreless, but it's going to be a problem for them. It's going to be a challenge. I don't know, like. The more I think about it, I, I think the Cavs are, are versatile. They're, you know, there's obvious drawbacks, right? Experience and things like that. And like, they're just like, but I also look at this and I wrote this uh, a couple weeks ago for Real GM, but I, I don't know. Like you look at the the all-star caliber talent than the Cavaliers have, and there's not a better starting five in the East other than Boston, right? Like they're the only teams that have that much talent in their starting five and ha- are, are that versatile. Um, and so... I, I think and like they have the second best record in the in the conference. Like why why couldn't why should we not be talking about them as a serious contender? They they have all of the 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 traits of a contender and and we just don't really talk about them that way because we don't think about the Cavaliers that way, especially when they don't have LeBron James. Like we just don't think about that franchise in that way. But you just look at the markers and you're like, Yeah, this is a this is the outline of a contender in the East. So I'm just not I'm not gonna rule them out. The two other things I would I would look I would note for Cleveland going forward is number one, Darius Garland has to just play better. Donovan Mitchell vociferously defended him to the media on, on Sunday um, in DC. Garland just does have to play better. He's not been at his best. I think there's some structural things going on there that I think you kind of just got to maybe do something different. The other part is the three point volume since the All-Star break West has dipped a little bit. And to me, if you watch the way they play pre All-Star break, it was high volume threes and really leaning into modern basketball in a way that I I'm sure JB Bickerstaff knowing him a little bit, it was not super in love with, but like Sam Merrill's just a cameo queen. Now there, there's a world where this team like loses some of that three point luster. And I think is worse off for it. And it's three games. It's not a big enough sample for, for us to say anything real about it yet, but I've got my eye on if, if they're going to regress a little bit to the mean there for, in terms of three point volume, let's go to the Miami heat. Okay. Because Wes, I got to tell you, I'm still scared. <laughs> like if, if, if whoever gets them in round one, despite what this year has been, despite the numbers and everything, just not telling you that this team is great, that they might be in the plane again. They're still like the, 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 the coming of death riding in on a pale horse into your town. If you get them around one of the playoffs. And if it's, if they're the six seeding at the bucks, if they, if they're the seven seed and Cleveland's the two seed and the, and the Cavs get the heat, which I'm I would personally kind of want for a lot of reasons, much less like Kevin love back in Cleveland for a playoff series is just like a, an energy that I would personally like to have to, to grapple with and see how weird that is. 
that is still just the team that would scare the shit out of me of if I'm any of these other teams. And I'm sure Boston, even if they would feel more confident this year and believe in the changes they've made and learning from last year, that's still like there's still just got to be some like wounds and calluses that you're freaking out a little bit about. So, so where are the heat at? What's going on here besides fighting the New Orleans Pelicans, apparently? Well, well, you know what? Uh, we're, we're recording this before Monday's game against Sacramento, but they are seven. They, they've won seven of the last nine going into the game. A lot of those games without Jimmy Butler. Three. It's going to be two of those games without Jimmy, who is out for personal reasons right before the All-Star break. And then he's going to be out tonight because of that suspension, because of that fight against the Pelicans on Monday night in Sacramento. Uh, but this team is just mixed and match lineups all year long. And they are just now starting to kind of figure it out. Terry Rozier has been out for a little while. He's been ruled out for this game in Sacramento. Maybe he can come back for Tuesday night in Portland. But this this team is still they, they don't have a single lineup that has logged 100 minutes together all year. It, that is a crazy stat. They have, they have 29 different starting lineups. They could go to 30 tonight this year. I, I don't. It feels like you have to try to make that happen. It, it's it's wild what this year has been for Miami. And yet, because of Eric Spolstra and because of some of just the things that we know inherently about this team, it feels like there's still a chemistry there. And it feels like even without with guys in and out of the lineup over these last couple of weeks, they're starting to turn that corner and they're playing some of their best two-way basketball of the season. Jimmy Butler in particular has been awesome lately. Over his last eight games, he's playing at an, uh, uh, an all-NBA caliber level, his best two-way basketball of the season. 25 points, eight rebounds, six and a half assists per game, shooting 56% from the field over his last eight games. And this is typically the time when Jimmy Butler starts to ramp up into playoff form. He's kind of taking the year off for the most part, kind of going, I always say, kind of going 50 and a 60 on the highway. Now he's kind of going 70 and the 60. And when, the, and when the playoffs come around, pedal to the metal, he's going 95 and a 60. He's just hoping there's no cops there to pull him over. And that's what's going to happen. And he's setting the stage for that. I think Bam Adebayo's evolution has been real, and I'm really intrigued to see what that looks like in the playoffs. I think their depth is better than it was last year. I think there's a lot of things to like. And if you're looking at why Miami is so scary to any of those teams in the Eastern Conference is because, look, I, I think Nikola Jokic was the single most dominant factor in the playoffs last year and was the most dominant factor in the Western Conference side of the bracket. I thought Eric Spolster was the most dominant force on the Eastern Conference side of the bracket in last year's playoffs. And he's still going to be that. That dude is far and away the best coach in the NBA still. And as good as Joel Mazzulla has been this year, as good as J.B. Bickerstaff has been this year, as good as Tom Thibodeau has been this year, as good as Nick Nurse for the Sixers has been this year, all those guys are going to get outcoached by Spo in a playoff series. They just are. It's just the way it works. Yeah. And uh, none of those coaches want to see Eric Spolstra on that other on the other side of the sideline. So um, if I'm like, could you imagine if we got Boston Heat in the first round and Eastern the, the Eastern Conference Finals in three of the last four years, a rematch of the last one, and we got it in the first round? The Celtics would choose I any other team. The Celtics would choose yeah. any other team to see in the first round, including probably the Milwaukee Bucks, including a Sixers team with a healthy Joel Embiid. They don't want to see Miami in the first round. Are you kidding? No team wants to see them. I desperately would want I, I I'm here Cleveland Cleveland Miami would be like my personal one just because I, I I love I'm I'm a absolute disgusting human being Wes and I love the heat I love Jimmy Butler like I just do there's something about them and it's Spo it's I believe in the culture thing like I, I just buy all of it but in terms of like theater and drama and just feeling like different like there's just so much at stake Celtics heat or Bucks heat in round one is just like, okay. Like yep. everyone pour a drink. If you smoke, 
have a cigarette, like, like, like meditate for a few minutes. Yeah. You just get a weighted blanket on and sit on your couch. Like you're <laughs> going to feel some type of way about those kinds of series. And there's no other team, like all due respect to Atlanta magic, all due respect to the Indiana Pacers. There's no team at the bottom end of this bracket that can, that is going to inspire fear. Yep. The heat are the only team on the bottom, in the bottom half of the East that inspire fear. That's just yeah. a fact. It's Spo. It's all of that. Um, I mean, I, I mean, Wes. Last year, I to me, like, there's other reasons. There's tactical things you get into. The biggest difference to me, in a lot of ways, from the Knicks series in round one for Miami, and I, I, and I so I love you shout out that Spo versus the Cleveland Knicks, the Knicks Cavs in round one, the Heat Knicks in round two, was that Tibbs I think just outcoached JB Bickerstaff in round one, and then that paradigm got absolutely flipped on its head for round two, and Spo was running running tips in circles. There's a little bit of a misnomer that the Heat don't care about the regular season. And it's not necessarily true. They care desperately about the regular season. They just prioritize things that aren't necessarily wins right now. And and they prioritize things like making progress and kind of experimenting and tinkering. And it's a thing that a lot of coaches do, but the Heat really, really take the part. It reminds me of sort of like the prime like Tom Brady, Bill Belichick Patriots where they're not really. They're kind of just hovering around 500 for you know half the season, and then they kind of take off on a run to end the end the regular season, and then they win the Super Bowl. And the Heat are a lot like that now. They probably have to care about wins a little bit more than they do right now to get out of that playing tournament because nobody wants to be in the playing tournament. But look, I look at the standings, and you look at where like the Heat have, depending on what kind of uh, data set you're looking at. Anywhere between like the 30s, the schedule left in the, in the NBA and the 70s, the schedule, whatever it is, it's very favorable when you compare it to the teams that they're competing against for one of those top six seeds, which is basically at this point, the Knicks, the Sixers and the Pacers, who are a game ahead of Indiana or a game ahead of Miami while we're talking here. Um, I think Philly could drop out. Um, especially if Joel Embiid doesn't come back anytime soon. Mm-hmm. The Knicks, their injury concerns are, are real. Indiana, like, I don't know. like It wouldn't shock me if they if they fell into the play-in tournament. Miami was the number six seed. So if they get that top six seed, I don't, I, I don't know. I, would, I might pick them in a series against Milwaukee. I probably would pick them in a series against Cleveland. I don't know that I'd pick them in a series against Boston, but I also know this, like, this is a team that if they win one of those first two games on the road, I don't think that they care about home court advantage as much as some teams do. They are very they're, they're one of the best away teams in the league. They have a better away record than home record. Um, like this team is very, very comfortable on the road. I don't think they care two bleeps about home court advantage because they're like, all right, we're going to we're going to steal one on the road in the first place to begin one of these series. And then we and then we take home court advantage. They, they really do believe that, and, and they basically did that all of last playoffs. I think they stole a game on the road in each series, including the NBA Finals. They got game two in Denver, right? They just couldn't win any games after that. But, um, yeah, this team just knows what, what it's doing. It has a formula. It knows how it wants to approach the season and the postseason. And, um, yeah, I, I just I think they just know how they want to do things. And you compare that to some other of these teams in the East – who are a little bit fresher, a little bit newer to what it is that they're trying to do here. Um, and that could just give Miami enough of an opening to make things uncomfortable for even the top teams in the conference. Bam out of bio as well, I think is kind of the, the last part of this. And it would make me fascinated in the series. Cause number one, having a monster year, mm-hmm. just, I, I mean, 
I guess you would have a better answer to me. I think he has to be the the Heat MVP of the season. Yep. He's the captain for one now, but I think just with Jimmy and out of the lineup, with them just needing someone to set the tone and and be the guy, it has absolutely just been him. He's averaging twenty and ten. I think this is probably his best season. I think it kind of has to be in terms of volume, in terms of output, in terms of however you want to look at it. His defense remains as good as ever. I haven't looked at defensive player of the year odds, and we haven't done that that show yet, but like I think he at the very least has to be in the running for that award, even if the Heat's defense isn't like quite... It's like the Heat defense is good. It's top 10, it's but it, it's not... It's not elite. Like, it's not in the Minnesota, Cleveland, Boston, Oklahoma City zone. It's a t- just a titch behind that, and maybe that hurts him. But it's – did they want to get the Rudy Gobert? I don't Who knows? We'll see. <laughs> he, he, to me, has just been so impressive night in and night out. And I do think that guy, paired with Jimmy Butler, with how smart he is, with how tough he is – if you told me he like he dominated a, a series against Boston defensively and, and helped drag it to seven or six or something like that, even if Miami doesn't win, that would not shock me because I think Bam's just that good now. There's only four players in the league this year averaging 20 points, 10 rebounds, four assists, and two stocks per game this year. Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid, Giannis, and Bam. That's it. Those are the four. Three of those guys, before Embiid got hurt, were legit MVP finalists. And then the other one's Bam. I think Bam's going to make the probably third-team All-NBA this year. And he's probably the best defensively out of that whole group. Embiid was really good defensively before he got hurt. Giannis does Giannis things, but not on an every-night basis. Bam's there every single night. He is relentless. Uh, He has been preparing his body. Brian Windhorst did a great piece for ESPN earlier this year about how he's been, been how Bam has been preparing his body for a postseason run, how he's learned from the last couple of postseasons where he's broken down a little bit by the NBA Finals, that he's trying to avoid that. And then you look at the way that his offense has evolved, because defensively, you're exactly right, Chris. Like, he just is what he is. He's a defensive player of the year finalist every year, year in and year out. Even if he doesn't win it, he's still one of the top 1% defenders in the NBA every single season. And that's good enough. Um, offensively, what he has evolved from, from basically a rim, att- a rim rolling center in his third season when he became a full-time starter to kind of like a dribble handoff fulcrum in 2019-2020 when they made that bubble run to the finals to taking more mid-range shots, kind of an outside-in kind of offensive player. He's kind of gone inside-out this last like year and a half and that's been very purposeful by Miami they, they want to get him closer to the basket he's developed the mid-range jumper he's hitting it at like a 45% clip from the foul line like that's a that's a bread and butter spot that they feel good about especially in the playoffs when those shots are a little bit more there than than they're not and then a sneaky addition the, the big reason why they swapped Rose, uh, Kyle Lowry for Terry Rozier is because Lowry have allowed in the last couple of years Bam to play off the ball and not have to be the fulcrum so he can kind of get to those mid-range spots okay well we got that that part let's get rid of Lowry let's plug Terry Rozier in because now we actually what do we need we need you to get back to being a rim rolling center more often because we need more of those rim attacks having Rozier there as a legit pick and roll ball handler which wasn't really Kyle Lowry's uh, strong suit at 37 years old anymore kind of has freed up Bam to be more of a rim roller and when we had those guys on the court together for a handful of games we started to see that and I'll be really interested to see if we continue to see that over this final stretch because if you add that rim rolling part to Bam's sort of offensive repertoire where it wasn't really there for a lot of different reasons to the mid-range stuff to all the offensive dribble handoff and all these things 
basically what we're getting, Chris, is the most diversified menu that Bam Adebayo has ever had offensively. And that, to me, is really interesting because if you pair that more versatile offensive skill set from Bam with Jimmy Butler going Michael Jordan you know, 2.0 in the playoffs, plus all the things that Tyler Hero can give you if he's healthy in the playoffs, Duncan Robinson improving, what Jaime Hawkins has given them. Like, this is a team that on paper just still, like, you look at the offensive rating and the defensive rating, and you're like, meh, it's all right. Net rating, they're just slightly above average. But those things are I just the don't care. I don't care. Playoffs. Exactly. Nobody, I, I don't, like, no, they, if there's any team that can, like, during the LeBron second in Cleveland era, and I think even in Miami as well, there was like this idea that his teams could flip a switch and they could just turn it on in the playoffs and it would be fine. I don't really think that exists for most teams. I do think there's a lot of value in the regular season and like building towards something. If there's any team that can do the proverbial switch flip, it's so Spo was asked the about the flip heat. switch. Uh, I'm, I'm sure he, I can't, can I, can I just, without having seen these quotes, I just want to guess that he doesn't believe you can do it. I don't, he does not strike me as a guy who's like an openly just kind of acknowledge the fact that they could flip a switch. So that's what I thought. So somebody, I can't remember what Uh-oh. reporter asked the question and I kind of cringed. I was like, Oh, here we go. Here's some untrained <laughs> eye kind of answer. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. But he actually said, he's like, well, he did say this. He said, we don't use those terms in that build, and we don't use those terms in this building. But we do take the the season in stages, and I found that interesting. I found that he at least acknowledged that different parts of the season are they they treat differently, and I found that that honesty at least interesting. Wes, we have like too many podcasts in the world at times. Not this one. This one's great. Yours is locked. Locked in. Your locked in. That's great. Locked on Suns. Yeah. <laughs> Brendan, if you listen to that, you let me know. Um, I would like immediately listen to a series where Eric Spolster just like talks to other great coaches across sports. NBA Steve Kerr talks to Pat Riley, talks to Pep Guardiola. And just like they talk about this stuff because I just his brain just must have so much information that like you could actually apply to your actual life in a way yeah. that I I don't suspect. Like, I just feel like there's something in what Spo does that is just like actually applicable to like the rest of the world. Like he is. I mean, he signed the extension. He's going to be there for, I think, as long as he wants to be. If he ever decided to give it all up and just like be like a like host like a improvement podcast or be like a speaker i feel like he could also just be great at that and i would probably i think we all would learn a lot from him and i take what he says seriously in in a way that i think no not to gas bow up too much but i literally i I think he's like almost too smart to be a basketball coach sometimes and that's i think that's true of the best basketball coaches right like you think of a guy like greg popovich who you know obviously has his military ties and his history there and it's like that guy would have been an awesome general like i would have been awesome in a leadership position in the military like like real serious stuff that actually matters you know unlike you know basketball games like but they decided that they wanted to apply their intelligence and their passion for leadership to the sport of basketball because they also have a passion for the sport, obviously. And I think that's very true of Eric Spolstra. I've always wanted to get like his reading list. Like, you know, how, like Barack Obama does his like end of year yeah. list. I want that from Spo. I want that desperately. Um, I want it's just extreme I, ownership by Jocko Willink like five times right. and then like <laughs> break, and like breaks to the game. And that's it. It's all he read the whole year. He's like, right. I don't have time. I'm, cr- I'm so crushing tape, guys. He, no, he reads so much. Eric Spolstra reads oh, yeah. like, a lot of the motivational books. He reads a lot yeah. of leadership books like getting a just like Pat Riley has his book. 
I, I would love Eric Spolstra one day to do a, just a leadership book because when people talk about heat culture, I kind of push up against it. Like I don't like like the hashtag heat culture with the capital C. Let's put it on the court kind of thing. Do you like the jerseys though? They're all right. I have one gripe with them. Um, it's it's. I don't like that the logo on the shorts, the Heat logo, is all white. It just looks unfinished yeah. to me. I would have just gone with the regular standard logo there. But that's just me. Um, I, I think it's fine. It's just not as good as the Vice stuff. But no, yeah, when people talk about Heat culture, what I keep coming down to is just organizational philosophy. It's just it's just organizational leadership. It's business principles, and that's just what it is. And it's just like an alignment in what those principles are. And it doesn't really matter what your principles are for the most part as a business, as long as everybody in the organization is aligned. And to me, Spo's greatest attribute as a coach, as good as he is tactically, throwing in zones, being unpredictable, all this stuff, I think his greatest strength is just getting everybody on the same page. And that's Eric Spolster more than it is anybody else in that organization, including Pat Riley set the foundation, no doubt about it. But right now, currently, the way that this business, that 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 organization operates, it's Spo that's getting everybody on the same page. And that's really hard to do, especially when you look at the other version of that at on other NBA teams who sometimes feel like they're going in so many different directions. And that's what I tell Heat fans. It's like, that's the part you got to appreciate. It just always feels like everybody's always saying the same thing when you talk to anybody in that organization. And that's a huge deal. Before we get into our last two teams, we're going to rapid fire through the, the 76ers and the Bucks. Want to tell you about our friends at Homage. Homage is an ultra comfortable specialty apparel company with NBA and WNBA licenses that uses vintage inspired designs to pay homage to the greatest stories, traditions, and figures across sports, music, and pop culture. Use our link below and make your purchase and support the Just Basketball Show. Wes, let's go to Philly next because I have the least to say about them as, as far as this conversation. The whole argument for them is, is Joel Embiid going to be healthy when these teams hypothetically play? If he's not healthy, this this isn't a conversation. If he is, their path is going to be hard because they just have struggled to match up with Boston. Their roster makes a lot of sense. I give them that. Like It's built for something real. Maxi is awesome, um, and I think he's going to be awesome in the playoffs, whether Embiid's healthy or not. But they don't have a shot of beating Boston unless Embiid comes back right, and that that's one of the biggest questions league-wide, much less just this, the scope of this conversation. Before Embiid got hurt, I was really close. If you would ask me if it's not Boston who comes out of the East, I would have said Philly, and I wouldn't even blinked. I would have, I wouldn't have thought twice. I thought they were that good. Um, I'll sum up my Sixers' future take on this: is if Joel Embiid is eighty percent of what he was before getting hurt, then this team has a chance. I think I think he's been that. I think he was that good that if he's eighty percent of what he was, and everybody else is healthy, and Tyrese Maxey's that dude, I think they got a chance. I don't know. I would pick them, but I think they got a chance. I, I just don't know how you could pick them just based on the health part of it. Like that just scares me so much. Yep. Like there's this idea that I think has a lot of validity and I would have, I would have argued it too. That a Joel Embiid is too good not to have like a monster playoff run at some point. But how do you bet that it's going to be the year and see, like put your thumb on the scale and say, okay, this is the year I think it's going to happen when you don't know what his knee's going to be like by the time you get to April. Like I, I, much much less like May, late May right. when the conference finals happen. Like it's just there's so much unknown with them that. Just and the tough part the for the Sixers right now is that they're kind of precariously on the brink of falling into the play-in tournament. I know they're fifth right now in the East, but they're only a game and a half out of being in the play-in tournament. Uh, only two and a half games out of the eighth seed. 
So mm -hmm. this is a team that has to prioritize Joel Embiid's health more than anything. He's going to be reevaluated at the beginning of March. We'll see when he does eventually come back. But you need to make sure he is as close to top tip top 100% shape as he possibly can be in the playoffs but you're also going you're going to have to probably go on another run here if you're Philadelphia to make sure that you escape the play in tournament because that's not a team where you want to be like yeah let's play an extra game or two because you never know what's going to happen with Joel Embiid or any of these guys so um it's going to be tough it's going to be tough for them no doubt Milwaukee Wes got to tell you they've had a couple wins that have piqued my interest just a little bit including a win against Philly. A lot of Doc Rivers stuff out in the universe right now that is just too much Doc Rivers-like stuff the last week and a half. I still just don't know. I still do not know exactly how much we can trust that this team is built to defend Boston or away. But I, th especially if like Malik Beasley is defending Jason Tatum in crunch time, like that just scares me, and I, I don't feel good about that. Some of the doc stuff I don't think has quite been as simplified as I, I would have expected with them. Where Brooke Lopez is still sometimes like on the perimeter, and I'm like, what? Why are we? Why are we doing this? Like, wasn't this part of why you fired Adrian Griffin? <laughs> like that Brooke was whatever. Dame and Giannis would still just be very high up my list of duo that can cause issues for Boston and I doesn't feel like if you were to look at the odds and look at the way that the season's breaking that Giannis is going to be the MVP this year I think he has like a very legitimate case to to finish top three at the at the worst if not win it and like Dame and Giannis just like rolling in a series and then doing enough otherwise to get there. It's a thin path, which I think all these teams have. It's not the, the most broad way to get there, not the most expansive way to get there. But I do think that there's a way that they could pull it off just based on the upper end talent, which is, I think, the original bet they made in the first place. That's exactly right. This is sort of the team they built, and it looks like the team that they built, right? And I don't know why people act so surprised. Like, hey, they can't defend uh, consistently. Yeah, we knew that. Yeah. But offensively, they're way better than what they were before. And when you look at teams that have won the championship or at least made the finals these last few years, they're teams that typically lean offense, and they're just good enough defensively. And to me, that's the biggest question with Milwaukee. Are, can you be just good enough, top 12-ish in defensive rating? And under Doc Rivers, they basically have been that. They've cleaned up some of the stuff tra in transition. That was a big issue under Adrian Griffin. You're right. I thought they would just go right back to Brooke Lopez uh, playing drop, Giannis wreaking havoc off the ball, and, just ch and Doc Rivers challenging guys like Malik and Damian Lillard to just fight over screens harder. I thought that's what they would do. And then they added Patrick Beverly at the deadline and it started to make more sense. But they haven't really done that. But other than the schematic part of it, the thing that Adrian Griffin wasn't getting from those guys was the buy-in. And it does seem like Doc has gotten them to buy yes. in offensively a little bit more, even if they're kind of buying into the same schemes that Adrian Griffin had for the most part. You know what I mean? So to me, this is the ultimate pros and cons list team. Like pros for the Bucks, right? You got Giannis who's going to be the best player on the Eastern Conference side of the bracket. He just is. You got Damian Lillard. He's going to be one of the best five players on the Eastern Conference side of the bracket come playoff time, probably. And the defense under Doc has been better. It's trending in the right direction. Those are the pros. The cons, there's no bench. There's absolutely no chemistry. 
And you also have to trust Doc in a playoff series. And the history speaks for itself when it comes to Doc in playoff series. He gets outcoached. And you look at some of the coaches he might have to go against in the East, and he's going to get outcoached in those playoff series. But is Giannis's greatness and whatever it is that Damian Lillard has left in terms of the, the greatness tank in the postseason – is that good enough? Because I do think if those guys can click, and I don't know, part of me wonders if they're sort of sandbagging the pick and roll between them two for the playoffs and say, okay, postseason time, now we're just going to run this 13, 14 yeah, times a game. And like, and like good, good, good fucking luck stopping it on like, right. on, like we've, this was like the most obvious thing when they made this trade. It was that Dame plus Giannis in the pick and roll was unguardable because it fucking is unguardable because right. your choices are. Okay, your, your your best option is probably just fouling Giannis. And at a certain point, like, he took a ton of free throws against Philly. That's going to happen in a playoff series, and it's not going to be the most fun thing to watch, but it's going to work. It's either you foul Giannis, Giannis rolls to the rim, so you sell out and, like, stop him. You're leaving the best pull-up three-point shooter and side this side of Steph Curry, like, open on the perimeter and giving him daylight. Okay, good good luck with that. Like, I'll I'll take that variance bet if I'm the Bucks. I'll take that shot ten times out of ten. Like, it's it should be unguardable, and particularly I think against Boston, Wes. That play, even if Drew Holiday and Derek White are a, the the perfect guys to have on Dame in that kind of series. The other part of it is if they get Giannis rolling downhill at full seam and he gets Porzingis or Horford in a foul trouble, that could change a whole game. That could change a whole series. This is why I picked Milwaukee before the season started is because I thought that Giannis and Dame were going to be just so good in that two-man game. I understand that Boston has no weaknesses. Give me the unstoppable force over the team with no weaknesses. I will take that all the time. I thought those Miami Heat teams, those big three Heat teams, had a lot of weaknesses, but they also had an unstoppable force in LeBron James, and especially when LeBron and Dwee Wade were playing together and Chris Bosh was spacing the floor. It was just an unstoppable force, even though the team had weaknesses. And we've seen this. It's not the most complete team that wins the championship all the time. It's the team with the most unstoppable thing. Last year, it was Nikola Jokic. Nobody was stopping that guy, right? And then, and specifically, the Jokic-Jamal Murray pick and roll was unstoppable. They're... The Damian Lillard, Brooke Lopez pick and roll. The the numbers on that are elite this year. So even if you go beyond the Giannis Dame pick and roll, the second the second best version of that is still an elite two man game. If they can lean into that, and we saw Giannis lean into uh, his role as a screener going into the into those finals against the Phoenix Suns, and when he transformed into a screener in those playoffs, the Bucks won the championship. I think he understands that. I think he knows it. Uh, he's putting up MVP caliber numbers now, but I think there's a more well-rounded game where he kind of plays more of that screening role in the playoffs. We've seen him kind of make that trans- uh, transformation in the postseason before. I don't know. So that's why I wonder if they're just sort of sandbagging it. We all wanted to see it. But like the Warriors used to sandbag the Steph Curry, Draymond Green pick and roll stuff during the whole that, that Golden, War- Golden State Warriors dynasties too until the playoffs. Like I think there's something to it. So I'm not writing the Milwaukee Bucks off. I'm just not. I just think that the guys at the top... They're just too good. Their weaknesses are so loud. I think they've just been overall disappointing. The Doc Rivers thing is is sort of just a meme at this point that we all kind of get distracted <laughs> by it. But it's still Giannis and Dame, man. Like, and if they can get the, the biggest question for them is if they can get Chris Middleton healthy. He's played like what eight minutes over the last eight games or something like crazy like yeah. that. Like, if, if if Chris Middleton's unhealthy, then just you could probably crumple this all up just because. 
and I mean this in the nicest way, not because Chris Middleton is that important, but because everything beneath Chris Middleton is so much of a drop off that they're just not going to have the depth. Uh, they're again, they got to get something. They got to figure out one of like Andre Jackson or Marjan Bochamp. Can one of them play? I thought Doc Rivers would experiment a little bit more, but Doc has done the Doc thing where he's just like, if I don't know what your name is like 10 years ago, then I'm not playing you. Um, and I'm going to go trade for Patrick Beverly. So thanks. But uh, yeah, they got a fi- They got some questions. But again, I'm not. Uh, if Giannis you can't write them off. Steamrolled through the East. I wouldn't be. Su- who would be surprised by that? No, no one. You shouldn't be. Even if, yeah. even if like the path is narrow and it takes Dame like like the Sixers game in some ways is a good example of the Dame thing because he could just hit enough shots in clutch time and send you home. And it's not going to like be the prettiest thing or the most effective thing. And you're not going to be like, wow, this is the best title team we've had in 10 years. But they could still do it. Wes, we'll get out of here on this. Let's rank these teams. So here are the teams that we've put on this list. Apologies to everyone else that we didn't get to that frankly is just in this conversation the Knicks the Cavs the Heat the 76ers the Bucks I will go first give you a chance to stew on this I'm gonna go one to five I'm gonna go Bucks one Knicks two Cavs 3a Heat 3b 76ers five what are we doing here? We're just ranking like top teams in the East or who, teams that who, could who, who can be Bo- who, who can be Boston? All right, uh, I have a brand pro- I should- to protect, so let's keep this in mind. <laughs> <laughs> so did I. That's why I hedged and put the Cavs three A when I should have just put the Heat three. If I mean, no, nah, it. Screw my brand. Bucks one, Knicks, Heat, Cavs, Sixers, but the Sixers are kind of in their own tier at the bottom right now because I just don't trust a single thing coming out of Joel Embiid's health report forever. Yeah, so that's the big thing with the 76ers. You can't really put them above any of these teams because we just don't know. But if Joel Embiid comes back and is like awesome for like the last two weeks, then, then the Sixers skyrocket up this list. But dealing with the information that we have now and no hypotheticals, I got the Heat number one. I got it. <laughs> he did it. He did it. All right. And now for seriousness, I got, then I go Bucks, Knicks as sort of 2A, 2B. Cavs at like a 2.8. Five or th- I'll just put okay. them at three. I'm not going to get too crazy. Yeah. Here. And then the 76 okay. behind them. Yeah. I think Philly kind of has to be last with the information we have yep. at hand right now. All right. We're going to end there. Wes Goldberg, you'll be back on Wednesday. We're going to do championship Sorry. tiers. Uh, that's going to be a good time. We'll get into that. I'm, I'm hopefully we get some, I, if we could just get one wacky thing in the NBA for a good cold open question, NBA gods that like if someone else wants to call Kevin Durant a, a B word, like, I'm, let's talk about it. I'm down. Um, okay. It's great times, but we'll be back on Wednesday with more of the just basketball show. Brendan will be back next week, but until Wednesday, check out West unlocked and heat, read his stuff as well at the ringer and all kinds of other places. Championship tears coming Wednesday. Enjoy the hoops. Talk to you soon.